So it is an honor to be here today. Uh, my wife and I got to spend some time with Blake and Alicia last night and then some time later with your staff. You are amazingly blessed with the leadership God's given you here. Uh, we have, uh, you really are, it's amazing. We have any Aggies here? Uh, you know, I'm a rabid Alabama fan, and I pastored at A&M for 33 years. Somebody asked me one time, they said, do you guys do evangelism on the campus? And I said, no, we don't do any evangelism on the campus because all Aggies go to heaven. And the reason all Aggies go to heaven is because in 33 years of being there, I never met one that I thought had reached the age of accountability. So they all, <laughs> they all go. So I want you to open your Bibles today. Now, I don't preach long. I know it's always nervy when you got a guy up there you don't know. I will not go long. We are going to walk through the text. But this is, for me, I think, a timely, critical text for where we are in America. So there are two things happening in America right now. Number one, everybody's mad at each other. Republicans hate the Democrats, the Democrats hate the Republicans, the independents hate everybody. Uh, it's just a mess. We're rioting, we're screaming, we're arguing about skin color. I mean, it is just insane. As a result of that, it's more difficult to share the gospel. Because if you're a certain skin color and you're talking to someone of another persuasion, they may or may not listen to you. And so we're in a really difficult time in America where everybody's mad at each other, everybody's angry, and it's making more difficult to get the gospel out. And then we have coming up, I want to be careful here, okay? Big believer in voting. You don't vote, don't whine. You need to vote. But the ballot box will not save America. Now, we think it will sometimes. Then I fear that sometimes we really believe if we can just get the right guy in or the right guy back in or get the right person in this position, that everything will settle down in America. The ballot box will not save America. There is, though, this. It's interesting to me, when we walk through this, we've all heard this, we, most of us probably believe this, and I'm not trying to inflict guilt, that's not my heartbeat today, I don't care what you've been up until now, I really don't, but I do think it's imperative that we make a huge shift in our life from just knowing what it says here to doing what it says here. This is critical. If America has any chance of being saved, it's not who gets elected. It's whether or not we actually do what this says. So we're going to walk through this real slowly. Now again, I don't preach long, but I want us to be sure of what this says. Because the ballot box is not the answer to everything we're facing in America. But ironically, this is. Listen to what he says. 1 Timothy 2, number 1. So then I am beseeching you, first of all, to make petition, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings on behalf of all men. First thing he says, and he uses four words. He uses the word petition, 
which means I pray with something with specificity. I don't just say, God bless the missionaries. I single out a missionary, and I pray something specific for that particular person. So I have to be specific in my prayer life. Then he says, I do it when I pray. He talks about intercessions. That Greek word actually refers to the ability to go into a king and lay something before him. You and I have the ability, the privilege, the right to go to the creator of the universe in his throne room and give him our request. We have that right because of our adoption in Jesus Christ. And then he says, with thanksgiving. So I want you to catch this, okay? He says, I want you to pray for all men, and I want you to pray with specificity. I want you to do it when you pray. I want you to know you have the right to, and I want you to be grateful for that. Now, watch what he says. And then he takes it one step further. On behalf of kings and all those in authority. He says, I want you to pray for those in authority. Now, that, you know, if you're praying for the president, that's pretty easy. I have a real specific prayer for the president that someone would break his thumbs. So he can't tweet anymore. That's kind of my specific prayer. But you and I have a responsibility to pray for those in authority. Now, let's be honest, that's almost impossible. And if you just take the Congress and the Senate, that's over 500 people. Then you take the president, you take the governor, you take the mayor, you take the city manager, you take all these different people. It's almost impossible to actually pray specifically for those in leadership around us. So let me give you a hint of what I think is the best thing to do. I think definitely you have to put the president on there. I think you have to put the governor on there. But then I think when you come, you center around Abilene. You take the people that are in leadership in Abilene. If your son's going to high school, your daughter's going to high school, you pray for that principal. If your son's playing football, you pray for that football coach. You pray for those people in your life that are over you and responsible for the direction of the culture that you're living in. So you pray for anybody that can alter the culture of Abilene. Now, that's your prayer. You're going to pray specifically. Now watch what he says. Now listen. Look at what he says. So that a quiet and peaceful life we might live in all godliness and sober seriousness. Now listen to what he says. This is good and well-pleasing before our Savior God. So here's what I pray. Pray for the president. I pray for the governor. I pray for the mayor in the city. I pray for those who are over me in whatever area. God, give them the wisdom to enable me to live in my city in a quiet, peaceful life. Let them have the wisdom that our city would become quiet, peaceful, easy to live in. Let them know what they need to do to bring that about. That's what... I'm supposed to pray. That's my prayer. Very simple. You take the people in leadership that you know. You write them down. 
You go into your prayer closet. You thank God for the opportunity. You understand you're going into the king of kings. You have the right. And you lay before him his, listen, his request for you to pray. We have a tendency to go in our prayer room. We've got our list. We tell God what to do. And then we leave when, in fact, the Bible says we're supposed to pray in the spirit. He's the one that should be directing our prayer life. Well, there's part of your direction. You've got great specificity here. You take the people in leadership around you. You pray that God will give them the wisdom and the power to create a situation in Aberlene where you don't have those riots, you don't have that anger, and not everybody hates each other. You do the same principle outside into Texas, into America. That's your responsibility. That's what you're supposed to pray. So you know whom to pray for. You know what to pray. You say, well, so it's all about me so everybody can have a quiet life. Watch this. This is good and well-pleasing before our Savior God, who all men he wishes to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth. The reason God wants us to be able to live godly in a culture that is peaceful and quiet is so that the gospel can go out in a way it can't when it's crazy. It's interesting. Culture's nuts, right? So there's a big lamenting in the Southern Baptist Convention today over the fact that our baptisms are way down. There's a correlation between the culture's crazy and baptisms being down. He wants the culture quiet and peaceful so the gospel can go out. That's the correlation. So you've got to ask the question, right? Now let's just, and again, I, it's, I don't care anything about guilt. I just want you to shift from today. Let's just ask the question. We have, what is it, 45,000 just Southern Baptist churches in America, 45,000. You take the other denominations, how many millions of Christians do we have in America that obviously we're not praying this or society would be quieter and the gospel would be louder. But in fact, the gospel's quieter and society's louder and we blame the ballot box and we blame the politicians and we do all this stuff when in reality what the scripture would seem to indicate, it's on us. We don't pray and we think this is just busy. Well, yeah, I'll pray. We really don't do that. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but honestly, for most of us, we don't delineate that authority and ask God to give that authority the ability to produce a culture that is quiet and peaceful so that I can live that out in godliness so that the gospel can go out better than it's going out now. And we trust the ballot box more than our prayer closet to accomplish what the Bible is indicating is based not on how well I vote, but on how well I pray. Now look at this. For there is one God, 
and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He says, I want them to be saved. I want them to come to knowledge of the truth. And the truth is that there's only one God, and they and that God are not on good terms. And they can't talk to him. He can't hear them. They can't hear him. There's no connection. He says, but there is a mediator. There is someone that will come and stand between the creator and the culture, and that mediator is Jesus Christ. So that in him, I can be brought back to the creator, we can be reunited, and we can be reestablished. How does that happen? Look at what it says. Who gave himself as a ransom for our sins, a mystery in the right time, in which I've been appointed a preacher and an apostle, I'm telling you the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in both faith and truth. He says, look, I want you to understand. There's one mediator. And that mediator mediated by paying a ransom payment. A payment the Bible says you and I have to pay. The wages of sin is death. The Bible makes that statement. So because you and I have sinned against the creator, we have to make a payment. We have to die. We have to be separated from the creator for eternity. We have to make the payment. But Jesus came along and made the payment for us. I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He made a payment I should make, but now I don't have to. He died he was resurrected. His blood was shed. That moment secured my forgiveness. He's the only mediator with the only God there is. And the only hope I have is in the person and the blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we want that message in the culture. And therefore, we pray for our leaders to do things in a way that will make the culture peaceful and quiet, not so we can be happy, but so that the gospel can go out with great and absolute clarity. That's why we pray. So we got to ask ourselves, right? If this is true, and you have millions of Christians in America that if each one of them lived out 1 Timothy 2, it would totally shift seismically the culture in America, not just so that you and I can be happy and we can feel at peace, but so that the gospel can go out with great clarity because there's only one God, there's only one mediator, and there's only one ransom payment. And we want them to know that. And they will have difficulty hearing that if the culture's out of control, which is exactly where we are, and baptisms are down, the culture is louder. Because honestly, let's just be honest, most of us don't ever live this out in obedience. We know it's there, we give it lip service, but we don't live it out. Most Christians don't, and therefore... America's come to where it's come, and we think, oh my goodness, if we just get a Republican in, if we just get a Democrat in, if we just get this guy in, if we just get this lady in, if we just get the right person in, the ballot box will save us. The ballot box is not what he says will save us. They didn't really have one in this day. Your prayer closet is the key to America calming down, 
so the gospel with absolute clarity and loudness can go out. And that is not based on how good a preacher is. It's not based on how good you are. It's based on whether or not the leaders in our country are altered by the prayers of the church. That is a staggering proposition. So we actually have the ability through who we are in Jesus Christ with the ability to go into the throne room of the Father to take our petition for the mayor of Abilene. I want to pray for the head coach of my son's football team so that in the locker room there's common peace so the gospel that shows up in his godliness will be loud. I want to pray for the principal of the high school where my child goes, so when they go to high school, there will be a calm culture, so the gospel of godliness that shows up in my child will be loud in that high school. You're going to pray for every place of authority over you so that the gospel can permeate those areas better in a quiet, peaceful society than a loud, enraged society. And that's not fixed in the ballot box. It's fixed in your prayer closet. So let's just be honest here. There are only two possibilities with this passage, right? He gave it to us for busy work. Or he gave it to us because it works. And so we have to decide whether or not we obey it. But when you look at baptisms down and conversions down and people aren't listening to the gospel and you look at the anger and the craziness in society, you got to figure, we haven't done this well. So it's time to start back and trust the ballot, no. Trust the prayer closet, yes. Why do we trust the ballot box over the prayer closet? Because we can see the ballot box difference. We don't always see what God's doing through our prayer life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, walk by faith, not by sight. I've been a pastor for 43 years. And the gospel says in John 14, Jesus said, I will come when you die and receive you to myself, that where I am you'll also be. That is a clear promise that when a believer dies, Jesus walks into that room, takes him or her home. I've been in a lot of rooms where people died. I was there when they died. I have never seen physically Jesus Christ come into the room and take them home, but I absolutely believe it. My whole life is staked on that promise. Whether I've seen it or not, that's what he says, and I'm locking down on that promise, and you got to do the same thing with this. I get it you see the ballot box. I get it that you pray, and you don't always see what God's doing, but obviously this is a prayer he's commanded us to pray, and it's quite obvious we don't pray, he doesn't respond. So we have a responsibility. And I know the election season's coming up and I get all that, but I'm just begging you. Don't trust the ballot box. Trust the King of Kings. 
and the Lord of Lords that you have a relationship with through the ransom payment of Jesus Christ and that you can come into his throne room anytime and you make sure you step in there with his word and make a difference in America. You vote, but you don't trust the vote. You trust your Savior. There's a faculty colleague, David Allen, at Southwestern. He was telling us one day, first church he went to, and he said it was a small church, and they had 15 or 16 youth saved. And everybody was telling him, wow, pastor, you've done a great job. We've never even hardly had 15 or 16 youth coming, but to have 15 or 16, this is phenomenal. He said, I was getting a lot of praise. But he said, I knew why. He said, when he first went there, a lady called him up, widow. She said, would you come out to the house? So he took a guy with him, went out to the house, sat down. And this is the days before live stream and internet and all this stuff. And she was blind. And she looked at him and she said, I want you to know I, I probably won't be able to hear you. We'll never be in the church service. Probably will never hear a sermon you preach. But I do want you to know there will not be a single day that your name and your calling I don't breathe to the Father. We really can alter the world if we simply do what he says. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your book. Thank you for its clarity, its direction, its promise. Father, I just pray for this church right now, singularly. Let them, based on your word, become a force to be reckoned with in Abilene. Let them go home, make a list of who you want them to pray for. Let them breathe those names so the culture will be quieter and so your gospel will be louder. Father, you promised us how to do that. Just make us obedient to that direction. And again, thank you for what we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for that forgiveness, that redemption, that payment that I don't have to make anymore. You made for me. Thank you for that adoption and the chance to be your child. In Jesus' name, I praise you and thank you for that. Amen.